we've been thinking over this last little while about foundations. This is one of the most famous buildings, of course, which uh, has problems with its foundations. And we've been thinking over these last days about the importance that our foundation is in Christ. There are many things on which we can build our lives, but we've been thinking particularly that Christ himself offers that firmest of foundations. We thought in, in our first sermon about those who built uh, their house on a rock and those who built it on the sand. And it says, when the storms of life came, and it's interesting when Jesus speaks about this, he doesn't say there won't be any storms. He says, when the storms come, there will inevitably be storms in our lives. And Jesus said, if you build upon me, that will take you and keep you through the storm. You won't avoid the storm, but you will be kept through it. And then we thought last week about how that uh, there are various ways in which we can build, that there are things that we can do with our lives which, which just pass away, which nobody's going to ever remember, which have no lasting effect. But Paul exhorts us uh, in the passage which we read in Corinthians that to build with gold and silver and precious stones, to have our lives made up of things which are precious and which are eternal. And as Dan has indicated, what we're going to do is look at various rooms now in the house that we're going to build. Um, we, we're going to have to get on with the actual reality of building. And so we're going to look at various rooms. We're going to look at the living room, the dining room, the kitchen, the bedroom, go up to the attic, and then we'll conclude uh, with a, a session on maintenance, which is one of the ongoing things that happens when you're looking after a house. And so we look today at the fact of the living room. The living room, of course, is the fact where the place where we normally meet with people, where we entertain, where we spend time with, with family, whatever. It's the place where we interact with people. Now, there are many different ways, of course, in which we could use our rooms, and we'll be thinking perhaps more of the the details of that uh, in our home groups during the coming week. But I want us to go back to just one fundamental thing as we think about interacting with people and living. What is it that in fact lies at the heart of the living room? It is, as the passage that we read in John together says, where we should love one another. Now, I know this is perhaps basic. You can say, well, there are all kinds of things we can do with our lives as we live them, as we interact with people. Well, that's right enough, of course. But it's interesting to see how that Jesus himself emphasizes, and the apostolic writers do as well, emphasize the importance that as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, 
there is a particular thing that should distinguish us. And that is that we should love one another. Now, of course, that sounds all very simple and straightforward. But is it? Isn't it actually quite difficult? You know, I could ask you the question, do you really love me? I wouldn't ask you to put your hands up or anything like that. Do I love you? And if we actually stop and think about it, and the implications of it, it's not so simple after all. And so I thought it would be good. Yes, we can talk about all the other things, but let's just spend a bit of time on this basic principle. The fact of loving one another. There are three things that John indicates in this passage. He starts off by talking about the importance of love. He then goes on to think, consider the cost of love. And then he concludes helpfully with the source of love. So then, the importance. John, as he writes, says this, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. This, says John, is the very foundation of what was taught you from the very beginning. This is at the heart of everything. This is why it's so important. This is what you've heard from the beginning. It is the message of Jesus himself. There was an occasion when one of the teachers of the law came and heard people debating with Jesus and noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer. He asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Then later, when Jesus spent time with his disciples just before going out to Calvary, as recorded for us in John, he says to them, A new commandment I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. How are we to love? As I have loved you. So you are to love one another. When Peter writes to encourage the believers in right living, he emphasizes the need to love one another. In 1 Peter chapter 1, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. Make your love real. 
love one another, not just casually, but love one another deeply, from the heart. He goes on to say, the end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers, which is obviously something that we need to do uh, in looking towards the coming of the Lord Jesus. And then he says, most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other. As we wait for the coming of the Lord, what is to occupy us? It is showing deep love for each other. Paul writes to the church in Rome, Owe nothing to anyone except your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. For the commandments say you must not commit adultery, you must not murder, you must not steal, you must not covet. These and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now in one instance the Lord says, uh, love each other as I have loved you. Paul here says, and perhaps we may think this actually is a stronger love, love each other just as you do yourself. <laughs> Which of us doesn't have a care for ourselves? Self-love. But self-love is to expand to love for others. And so John says, this is the message you heard from the beginning. This is foundational. And then he says, don't belong like Cain who murdered his brother. So the importance of love is not only because God commands it, but because the world neglects it. <laughs> he said, look at Cain. He murdered his brother. And he says, we know that uh, we've passed from death to life because we love one another. And it says the world will hate us. Why will the world hate us? Because it shows up the lack of love that there is in the world. We don't have to look very far to see the evidence of the world neglecting love. And what lies at the heart of that? Well, as the example, like Cain, it was perhaps envy. It was concern for oneself. And so we see that being expressed in the Middle East at this time. See it expressed in the Ukraine. We see it expressed round about us. <laughs> that we actually deliberately neglect and reject love for one another because mainly I love myself. Because of what I want. And that causes me not to love one another. The contrast is to be seen, Jesus says, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another, because that's going to make you very different from everyone else. That is to be a distinguishing feature of the people of God, that they actually can be seen to love one another. 
It actually happens. But where do we generally find it so difficult? I mean, it is, you know, to be honest, I have a problem with loving some of you. Let's be honest. We all feel like that about one another. Certain people, we find it very difficult to love. It's hard. And John is quite realistic in this. He goes on in verse 16 to look at the reality that love costs. And that's something that perhaps we, we find difficult to, to accept, to realize. Love is a nice, warm, sentimental feeling that we have for people. And uh, uh, it, it's good that, that we do that. And maybe we ought to express a little of that warm, sentimental feeling. It's Lisa's birthday today. So I wonder, can we stop for a moment and sing happy birthday to Lisa? Yeah. Thursday. Well, it's coming soon anyway. So, yeah. 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 Okay. I see Hazel's at the back. Can you give us a chord, Hazel? Because that's no good waiting for me to do that. Let's sing happy birthday to Lisa. Now, we had a, um, we, we had a habit in our previous church, uh, at right at, at the end, that the final words you use is to say, and may God bless you, which is quite a good way to end up. So let's, uh, happy birthday to you, happy birthday to you, happy birthday dear Lisa, and may God bless you. Good. Yeah, we, we have to take time if we're going to express love. It takes effort to do it. And John says this is how we know what love is. What example does he give? He said, right now, how, how am I going to describe love? The, the sort of love you should have with one another. How would you describe that? And he says like this. He said, Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Love is costly. We get the example of that. We thought two weeks ago in our evening communion service, and there is our communion this evening as well, um, Two weeks ago, we thought particularly about the love of God. We meditated for some time, and we could spend a lot of time on that. But there's one particularly interesting thing that struck me. We get this from Romans chapter 5. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And in the next chapter of 1 John, in 1 John chapter 4, we read this. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us 
and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. We love because he first loved us. Now, I don't know how it is with you. I tend to love the people who love me. I react to love. If they don't love me, at least I would like to like them. If I don't like them, I find it difficult to love them. But this is the kind of love that God had. He loved us when we didn't like him. When we had no thought for him. When we rejected him. When we ignored him. God loved us. And we love in response because he first loved us. But God took the initiative. And God now says you are to take the initiative. It's not a question of whether you've got a nice warm feeling for someone or whether you happen to like them because they play golf like you do. But you are to love them because they're there. You are to love them. And so we have Christ's example. It will cost. Secondly, he says, there is the reality of love. It's not to be just in words, but in actions. Just prior to my wedding, I was given some advice as people are wont to do when uh, they see others getting married. They say, one of the things you need to do is you should tell your wife frequently that you love her. Yes, okay, so you should say that. But then he said, but also remember, he said, come a Sunday lunchtime and your wife has been slaving over a hot stove and she's prepared a nice meal for you. You sit down and enjoy the meal together and then afterwards you, 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 you get that sort of sleepy Sunday lunchtime feeling coming over you. So you go back and you sit in your comfy chair and while your wife's out in the kitchen doing the dishes, you shout out to her, Darling, I love you! <laughs> and he said, That's not enough. You have to get out of your chair and go into the kitchen. And you either do the dishes or at least you pick up the drying up cloth. You see, love is not just in words, but in deeds and action. And that, of course, is why it's costly. We frequently have read at weddings and other special occasions that great celebration of love which Paul wrote in in 1 Corinthians 13. It's interesting to note the middle paragraph of that passage. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. 
Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. Love <laughs> is costly. It's not easy to love. It costs. When people say, I've fallen out of love, I don't quite understand what they mean by that. Do they mean that this sort of nice warm feeling I had when I got engaged has gone or something like that? I don't know. I wonder, though, and I wonder from one's own experience, as, as one goes through a marriage or any kind of relationship, you do come across hard times and difficulties. But I wonder if sometimes when we talk about falling out of love, it is because, in all honesty, we are not prepared to pay the cost of what it means to love. We won't pay the cost of loving. And we have to face up to the reality that loving is costly. And so, of course, you might end up by saying, <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, that's all very well. We have these sort of ideals and Jesus sets these great themes about what we should do and how we should live and so on. That's all very well. That's an ideal, but of course no one knows, everybody knows that you, you can't really reach that. And John's realistic. And he says, how is it that we're going to actually fulfill what in fact is the source of love? How is it possible that, that I could love Dare I say to you that you could love in this kind of way? How is it possible? Well, John suggests that there are two things. First of all, he says that first of all, the thing is we need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 23, this is the command to believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded. Now, why then does he put this first? Because here we come back to this whole business of what we've been talking about over these past weeks, is foundations. It is because of the belief and acceptance of Jesus Christ as Lord of our lives that we can become transformed as Paul writes to the Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have become new. The old things have passed away. The reality is that in coming to Christ, we become new people. And so the potential to love in this kind of way is granted to us. We're not like we used to be. We're new and so this is to be manifest in us. And so here is this wonderful reality. And so it also says that, that when we uh, come to a knowledge of him, that we want, in fact, to please him. And when you're brought into a relationship, you want to please people. And so God says, 
love me, you will keep my commandments. One of my commandments is this, that you love one another. The message translation of Jesus' words to his disciples, if you love me, show it by doing what I've told you. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. You're new people. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, do you realize that? Not like you used to be. Transformed. And so the reality of these ideals that Jesus sets before us are there to be realized in our lives. But there's more even than that. And so John concludes, the one who keeps God's commands lives in him and he in them. And this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gives us. If you look in Galatians chapter 6, you can read there about the fruit of the Spirit of those characteristics which the Spirit of God wants to bring about in the life of each believer. How does it start? Which is the first one? This is the first of the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Love. That's right. Love. It's the first. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering... He goes on to complete the picture of a character transformed by the Spirit. But it starts with love. So it is that God seeks to bring about in us, through his Spirit, the reality of what it means to be a follower of Jesus For most of us, most of the day, in one sense, is spent in the living room. Most of our day is spent mixing with people one way or another. Out at school, uni, work, in the shopping place, wherever it is. The place where we mix and interact with people. We're doing it all the time. One or two folk perhaps live somewhat lonely lives. They don't meet very many people. But most of us, in fact, are meeting and mixing with people all the time. And it is clear from the emphasis that Christ has given and the emphasis the apostolic writers given that as followers of Christ, there needs to be very distinctive thing about our interaction that takes place. Summed up very simply, we should love one another. That's what it should be like. It should be evident in the way we speak to the checkout lady. 
I, I don't know whether checkouts irritate you like they do me. It's amazing when you go to Sainsbury's, there's people dodging around all over the place, filling trolleys and stacking shelves and one another. But when you come to checkout, there's nobody there. And so nearly always, by the time you get to someone, you feel irritable and het up. And uh, it's very easy to take it out on the poor woman who's sitting there. We want to be nice to checkout, ladies. We need to be nice to our neighbours. Love your neighbour. Of course, there was the one who uh, had this question. He had the excuse, well, who's my neighbour? <laughs> Jesus said, anyone. Anyone around you. You're to love your neighbour. But above all, above all, it has to be evident in the community of believers. Here in Abbey, with other believers that we may have contact with from time to time, because we are called by God within the community of believers to demonstrate to the world the reality of what it means to be a believer, to be a follower of Christ and to be a member of God's kingdom.